Hey there, Quarantine listeners. Welcome back to Episode 5. Today's guest is one of my best friends in the comedy world. We co-host The Gripe Juice Show, which is normally every second Sunday uh, at 3 p.m. at Barcavell, currently on hiatus for... Obvious reasons. Uh, it's Liz Glazer. She's been blowing up. She's super hilarious. Um, we're very close. Uh, we've been chatting a bunch, but this is the first time it's been recorded. In it, we recount um, different ayahuasca experiences we've had, not while in quarantine, but uh, prior to. Uh, we discuss movie stars, if they if they can last anymore, and Liz tells us about quarantining within her quarantine. So it's a super fun episode. I hope you listen all the way through. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. Hi. Hey, Liz. How you doing? Welcome to Quarantine, my uh, my new podcast where, well, you know, we're, we're into episode five now, so I don't even know I've if it's a new podcast. Many podcasts don't make it to episode five. Let me tell mm-hmm. you, they do episode one. It's trash. They're like, it's going to get better. Then they do episode two, and they realize they couldn't even live up to episode one's trash. Sure. Well, I, on the other here. hand, I, on the other hand, did episode one. Phenomenal. Three, two, three, and four, not quite as good as episode one, but good oh, enough. interesting. Good wow. enough. Well, you know, I find, and I talked about this a little bit, I think in episode two. Actually, no, I like all of them for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. but I find that people, you know, people are going to get real bored of this podcast because of how much all these things I just spoke about. So I'm about to just repeat, but like we get into like conversation zones, you know, Don't, I feel like you probably especially relate to this where like, you'll be having like one conversation and you have it like with six people. It's yes. like the, it's the conversation of the moment for you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's kind of like headline news. Yeah. You know, like you cycle through it. And then, I, and I guess it's similar in some ways to material. To material, exactly. You're going to the mic. This is what's exciting to you. You're like, I got a new hot bit. And then a week later, you're depressed. And you're like, I have nothing. Right. <laughs> well, I guess it's, yeah, yeah. And I'd love for, in some ways, it's like, I don't ever seek to be a person or a comedian who's like, on all the time that's like never been something that was attractive to me but I also wish to be myself entirely on stage which I think is something you and I have spoken about before and so it's like an interesting question to me to kind of find that sweet spot between being on all the time and being yourself uh on stage because it's like you don't want to feel like the world is a stage in a bad way and all the like pejorative aspects of that. But, you know, anyway, See, I, I, I no it. longer I no longer feel the urge to be on on stage. I now only feel the urge to be on on Zoom shows. Ah. <laughs> I need to be as distant so from people good. as possible. What? Right. You said it was good. The one that you did. Oh yeah, it was it was it was unique and uh and yeah, I mean, I ended up, you know, just kind of going into like I ended up doing pretty much like 5 minutes of what was like the best stuff I'd said on the three podcasts I had done okay. up until up until that show. This is sort of like this has become sort of both my open mic and where I write my new material on uh, mm-hmm. on this podcast. So this is what I need. This this is this is how I'm dealing with with it. You know. Um, yeah. But uh, but it was super fun. I did a whole thing about um, how like uh, well, it's I couldn't hear anybody, but oh. I could see everyone's faces laughing. Okay. And then there were comments of people being like, ha, 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 oh, okay. it's so funny. And that someone saw a shoe in my background because I was talking about how I've only cleaned this half of my room. And then the half that nobody can see is a disaster. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I was saying that, like, you know, when this all started, when the craziness went down, like the two things everyone was buying was toilet paper and guns. And right. then I went out and I couldn't get any toilet paper. But I was able to get a gun, and then I used the gun to get toilet paper. Yeah, uh, that was that was funny. But I feel like a bunch of people have made that joke now. 
I feel well, like I feel like I had it. I had it. It was mine. It was original. I came up with it. And then cr- criminal thieves everywhere. <laughs> yeah, or parallel thinking. I mean, there's a Definitely Milan Patel not. bit Definitely that's not. similar. <laughs> yeah, there's a Milan Patel bit that's similar to that from before <laughs> quarantine and before it was about toilet paper. Because it's basically, as far as I can remember, it's like he goes to dinner and it's it's basically like like he says that it would be annoying to have a gun or it would be weird to have a gun because what if you only remembered your gun uh but you forgot your wallet and then you're out to dinner with someone and then you like the waiter is like can you pay for dinner and the answer is like well kind of like if you forgot your wallet but you had your gun and so it's different but you know similar conceit i think mine's a little cleaner no. <laughs> he's brilliant uh, and yeah um it's well told the way that he says it i didn't do it justice i went on to like being like a gun is really an all-in-one purchase sure it's yeah really all anything you need yeah. the gun can deliver and it's right. like I, I never understood guns until the second i bought a gun and then pff, immediately was intoxicated yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i, I don't i don't actually have a gun uh i don't either clear. Uh, but like, I do I, have a prop gun, and I've oh, been really? thinking I have a prop gun that I've used for sketches, and mm-hmm. I've been thinking about like what if, you know, like like one of my paranoid thoughts during this whole thing, uh, and this is gonna get some people stopped. I've already had someone t- t- tell me they stopped listening eight minutes into the first episode because they started crying because I said that this might go on for eighteen months. <laughs> but but in my in my, you know, because I live in like this random ass house in the middle of yeah. like a bunch of apartment buildings. So I feel like if if I was a robber like coming through my neighborhood, I'm like the target because like who the fuck is this house number one? Yeah. And okay. like you only have to deal with a house's worth of people, not like uh, not like a whole neighborhood. So I okay. have my prop gun, which I now keep in my bedroom, which I feel like if someone broke into my house, I would like try to. I, I try, I've been trying to, like, imagine how I would, like, handle the situation. Mm. But one of the ideas is to very confidently walk out with the prop gun and be okay. like, I've used this before. Get the fuck out of my house so I don't have to use it again. Sure. Um, but uh, this is dark for a comedy show. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll probably just uh, lock my door, hide in my room, and cry. Um. Yeah. Um, well, a couple things. One, I I've never owned a gun. I don't own a gun or a prop gun. But I was once in a room in San Francisco. Like I was staying there. I was staying in this house with my girlfriend at the time. And there was like an office in the house and I could feel, I was like, I feel like there's a gun in here, which I've never had that feeling. And I imagine I've been in rooms with guns probably before, but I had never. Were there a bunch of taxidermies everywhere? (laughs) No, no, it was was... something about this place. Right, right. (laughs) Um, That would be funny, but no, it was just like regular. And then I was like, I opened one drawer and there was a gun in it and it was, I wonder how many moments. Hmm? I wonder how many more guns there were. If you open that one drawer and there's a gun in it, what if every drawer, every drawer and it's, and it's, it's like knives out, but it's guns out, uh, just guns everywhere. Well, it was, it was like one of the moments for me that I've felt, you know, connected to some sort of like psychic power or whatever, um, and it was just weird. Uh, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, you know, when I got mugged in 2018, like I had always before then wondered like what I would do in a situation like that, like, God forbid it should happen to anybody, but like, um, cause you know, I was mugged at gunpoint, whatever. And I did not have a gun. So it'd be interesting to know like what I would have done if I had any sort of weapon on me. But my instinct was like a hundred percent to not resist at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are my two thoughts. Yeah, I also don't have anything on my house anymore. My roommate right. just moved out, so it's like the house has been emptied. It's wow. like take what you want. There's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> take take the take the couch she left. 
You should just have that like a banner on your porch. There's nothing. Yeah. Take what you want. There's nothing. Beware. Beware of nothing. <laughs> Not beware of it. dog. Beware of of nothing in my house. Mm-hmm. Might get confused. It might be like, oh, there's no dog. Come in, and there's like, there's no thing. Um, yeah. But um, okay. What was? What, I, had, I had a question. So you're quar- Are you still quarantined inside your quarantine? No, that only lasted a couple of days. So I've been coughing, um, which is a scary thing to be doing during this time. Um, I do get allergies like in general in my life, particularly during the spring. And also like I have post-nasal drip. I know I'm just like sharing the sexiest details, but this is what we do for art. Um, And so like, maybe like at this point, four nights ago, I had like a coughing fit. And I think like both my roommate and I were very scared from that. And so we decided that it would be best to have me quarantined within quarantine. But then I was in that for two days. I had a phone doctor appointment and they were like, you don't meet enough of the criteria, which I kind of already knew, like to get a test and you're not famous enough. So goals, but like, Um, so I didn't, I didn't get a test, but they were like, listen, you know, if your symptoms worsen, then obviously call back and like, let us know. And then maybe you could get a test or whatever. But if they don't like, you know, it could be anything like it could be COVID. It could be allergies. It could be a regular cold. Like we have no idea. Um, and it's kind of like, everybody's just inside anyway. So like, kind of what does it matter which I get um and that's what I've been doing anyway but like in terms of the quarantine within quarantine I have we've negotiated beyond that because it's not sustainable to like literally have me just in my room really there's people that are just in prison (laughs) well yeah and the thing is you can use that for the clip but um the thing is that like uh there is a part of me that was kind of excited about like whether I could sustain, you know, the whole quarantine just in my room. Cause like, you know, I you made it two days. You made it, you made it two days. And you're like, days. this yeah. has to end. If I give you COVID, I give you COVID. Ah, no, <laughs> God forbid. I mean, I wouldn't want yeah, to yeah. give it to anybody, but like, you know, it's also just like, like it's hard. I think, everybody has their own hard thing in all of this, I think. And I just think that like not being able to access a kitchen and like not being able to like go outside for a walk, if you're, you know, doing like, not like Runyon traffic or whatever, but like you read about that, right? No. People oh, were just like these... hiking all over Runyon. It yeah. was just like packed. <coughs> so they had to shut down Runyon. Well, they didn't, but there was, like, some campaign, like, on Twitter or whatever to do that because, like, everybody was there. I wasn't there. But, like, you know, my neighborhood is, like, pretty – it's easy to, you know, do the scurry away thing when you see – whatever. So, I had – I had a very – I had – so, I've been going on walks a little bit, and kind of my rule when I go on my walks is if someone's coming towards me, I just cross the street. Yeah, that's, what that's I been so so I'm doing it and I've been doing it. I'm like going on a long walk and, um, and I have this situation. Uh, this is relevant to the story where this black guy is coming towards me. So just mm-hmm. like the same rule I've had with everyone, I cross the street. Then he crosses the street right. after I do it. And I'm like, now you're making me look racist. Uh, no, you're making me. This has nothing to do with your race. This has everything to do with your potential disease. And then I crossed the street again, and uh, I was like, it's "Not a good very, look. Not a good look, Josh." Your Larry David moment. I almost didn't. I almost didn't. But I almost felt like that was racist to not cross the street because I've been yeah. doing it for everyone else, and it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna let race determine what. Uh, what I do right. in this situation. Right. Um, yeah. <coughs> I've been crossing the street too. And then Everyone also listening to this is going to be convinced you have it. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, um, listen, it's fine. I like, I, I try to embrace 
all kinds of vulnerability. And I feel like in this era, you know, it's vulnerable to be like, I might have COVID-19. I have no idea. What I'll say is that I've been having this low grade cough for like five days. I can feel the phlegm coming from the back of my nose to the back of my throat, a detail I would never ordinarily share, uh, let alone on a podcast. But <laughs> like, it's very, it's very normal for me, like to exist with this kind of, it's not a you dry know, cough, it's a wet cough. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, it's, it's what happens to me, particularly when I'm like, in my house around my cats all the time and like, whatever. So anyway. Um. What have you been doing? Uh, so what what are some of the things you've been doing to keep busy? To, well, I, I, I almost feel like, you know, you're living like there's a there, there's like a Liz Glazer type bit for me. Like, I, I know we, we've had discussions in the past of like no punchlines, but there's there's some Liz Glazer style bits like the like the lesbian stereotype bit. Right. And, and things like that. And I was thinking that like your new Liz Glazer bit is like, I have to do a Skype podcast real quick before my zoom lesson. And then yeah. afterwards I have a FaceTime call. Uh, I mean, and then yeah. there's, and that, that's, that's your bits are your life, but you, you've managed to like, <laughs> how can I, how can I have the busiest schedule of any person? Well, I've been going purely off of internet video and how can they be on different yeah. platforms? so that it feels like I'm going ah. to all these places. Well, you know, I guess I have kind of taken the opposite route for quarantine, particularly for like shows and things, because I don't know. I mean, here's another vulnerable bit for me, in addition to perhaps having Corona, is that like, I don't know if I want to be a Zoom comedian. Well, it's not appealing to me i'm gonna be honest with you i really wanted to back out of the show that you had recommended me for like yeah up until the moment i was on and then once i was on it was a good time I, not that i want to like be doing it every night not that it's like exciting for me like being on stage or anything but i could do it a couple more times I could do a well, couple more. And, I, and I'll say this, too. I think that there's been like like these, you know, people at home doing these things. There's been an element of community I felt in them that's different than just watching a movie, different than just yeah. watching like a like a great stand up special or video online. There's something a little more enjoyable about like the live experience of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe you and I'm open. And this week I ultimately was supposed to do three Zoom situations. And I I backed out of two with notice because that was when I first got my cough and I truly wasn't sure, you know, what it was or wasn't. And so those went away because of that. And then there was one open mic that I was supposed to do yesterday, but then like it was kind of messed up with, like I truly tried as did a couple of other people to like get into it. But then like the room was, it was just a bad link. But <coughs> anyway, um, so, so I haven't done it yet. So I take your point that like, I could have all of these expectations about it that are negative and then be totally surprised. Um, and I'll end up doing something with it. But I've really like for maybe, I don't know, like a couple of months prior to coronavirus, I had been thinking that I was really overcommitted because I'm in an acting class and a stand up class and I have a pretty intense show schedule. And like, I, you're right, like I like to keep busy in those ways. But I had had the thought that like maybe it would be productive to slow down. So basically, I feel like I'm basically the bat that caused this whole thing because I wish to Hashem that I could have some time to slow down. <laughs> and so I've been taking it like, you know, I don't know. I've been like doing more writing. I've been doing more like 
listening to stuff that I've already done and kind of, you know, the stuff that like, I would love to be really consistent about doing all the time, but sometimes the kind of momentum of life and, you know, particularly the way that I lead it sometimes does, doesn't really allow me, or I, I don't know, I haven't allowed it to allow me to like really slow down and be like, okay, what did I learn from, you know, that go, 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 go every minute, every minute of every day. Um, I, you know, it's like, it's like if I could remove the anxiety of, of this disease and less so even for myself than like my parents and yeah. just people I care about and, and things. And, and it could just be like, Hey, everyone gets a month, a month pause of society. Right. I'm almost, I'm almost down for like a continual month pause. It's probably doing wonders for the environment. Um, like, like, you know, the societal, the societal month pause is nice. I'm like, you know, I, I've been wanting to start a podcast, started a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I've been wanting to get um, uh, work on some of my screenplays that I hadn't finished. Still planning to do that. Uh, I want, <laughs> I've been wanting to exercise. I've been exercising every day. It's hell. You know, I, it's like, um, I have like, I went, I went like uh, over like a year and a half ago. I stopped exercising every day. I was like doing it, and you know, I let myself get out of shape again. And uh, it was almost like I almost had like a trauma thinking about going back to exercising because right. I hate it so passionately. Yeah. Uh, but like my actual exercising um, experience now has been interesting. I like I'm like, all right, I got kettlebells. I bought these kettlebells a while ago. Let me do a kettlebell workout. Like went online, looked for one, did my first one, was like dead afterwards. And then the instructor at the end goes, all right, ladies, good job. Ah. We'll see you guys tomorrow. And then tomorrow, <laughs> after doing this five-minute kettlebell workout, apparently for women, I I couldn't even walk. I like could barely yeah. walk. Um, and it's interesting. I just like I feel like if there's anything that proves God is cruel, it's exercise because it's like it's like oh you want to you want to be in good shape you want to be healthy, hurt yourself for an hour a day every day just hurt yourself. Just go uh, spend thirty dollars a month to belong to a torture room full of uh, full of torture instruments that you will use to tear your muscles and uh, and uh, and and hurt yourself into physical condition. Um, it's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I gotta go. I got to go to this room full of uh, this homeless shelter. I have to go to this homeless shelter. I pay $30 a month to belong to, to go lift things and put them down to no ends. Yeah. I mean, you know, the flip side of that, I appreciate that, but also (laughs) like when, like, cause I, I, you know, I've, I go in kind of extremes and, um, which I try to think of as an asset. Like maybe one day I could be like, you know, the female Christian Bale or something like that. Um, Because I do have the ability to go like pretty intensely between weight classes. And um, when I have, like when I was last really into fitness, I was really into SoulCycle. And this was before they were connected to Trump. I have not gone back since. But... um, my favorite soul cycle instructor at the time is actually now a Peloton instructor. Her name is Emma Lovewell and she's amazing and has become a good friend and whatever. But like one of the things that was so amazing about her was that uh, I didn't feel like it was work. Like she made it so fun and I would go like nine times a week. At first I think she was, she thought that I was stalking her, which like, you know, with me, I never know if I am or I'm not. Um, But it's, I mean, now we're buddies, but like, uh, yeah, I I would go all the time to that. And it, it, but anyway, so like the point of it, of what I was trying to say is like, I understand the torture elements, but I think for me, when it's been successful for me, I've gotten to a point where 
I really think it's fun. But then it's hard to get back into it. Well, I I keep doing these things where it's like I do like uh, increased interval stuff. So it's like day one's pretty easy. And it's like, oh, I got that. And then like every day. But then once it starts to get really hard, I hate it. Yeah. And it's it's I keep doing it because I get like I get into the routine of it. But I know I know that once I break the routine, it's over. It's well, over. I guess I'm I mean, this is like, in. right. This is just me spitballing. But like maybe because because I I've had this thought about how frustrating it is for me that I've like gotten into shape and out of shape and into shape and out of shape. And the thing about the Christian Bale thing is really just me trying to make lemonade out of it. But like, I've had the thought that like, wouldn't it just be great to be able to just like, you know, settle in on some sort of weight class and like routine with it. And so I wouldn't have to be either losing weight in some kind of mission driven style or gaining weight. Like, I don't care about anything. And I I guess like, maybe it's the refinement of the goal. Like for me, I'm always like, well, maybe I could have a six pack. Like I had, I once wrote out the uh, like chapters in my memoir and like fake ones. Like in your future memoir. Right. But I, I just have it on like a note on my phone, which is, and one of the, one of the chapters is what it really feels like to have a six pack. <laughs> and, and like, I, I, you know, I've never had that. I don't even, I mean, at this point, I'm just like, why do I even care? Because for me, this is, it sort of tracks a lot of my kind of evolve evolution in my thinking. What's that? It's like, a, it's a goal. It becomes increasingly harder the yeah. longer you've not accomplished it. Like, my odds at this point of being a pro basketball player are the lowest they've been yet. Right. But both of us still have a chance of achieving our dream, I think. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is I don't know if I care that that's my dream anymore. And so the reason that I, that I was really kind of thinking through it is just like, you know, I don't know that that's, like a goal for me anymore in some sense, maybe because I've given up on it, but I think also because, and and this is, I think it's broader than just like fitness or body stuff. But like when I was like in high school and I would set goals, it was very much because I was like, well, I want to be perfect. Basically like anything that I can do that gets me closer to perfect is therefore good and worthwhile. And that's something that I should be working on. Whereas like now, you know, it's tricky because it's not not the case. Like I still sort of have that inside of me somewhere, but I also know that it's like wrong kind of or like not worthwhile for the purpose of perfection. I had a um, I once had an idea that I was going to do a documentary about me training to be able to slam dunk a basketball. Because okay. I've always wanted to be able to slam dunk a basketball. Sure. And I thought, like, what if I, like, made a doc where I trained myself to get to the point where I could? Could I? Could I train? Could I, as a 35-year-old man now, in my physical condition, train myself to the point to get the capacity to slam dunk? Probably not. Because I know well, people in way better shape than me, taller than me, that can't. It's an interesting idea, though, because, I mean, first of all, it's kind of like the opposite of a super size me kind of documentary. And I think that, you know, on the theory, which I believe this, that like if you can dream it, then you can do it. And if you focus on it, then you can do it. And I think that I can be an inspiration to white. I could be an inspiration to white men everywhere. Well, short white men everywhere. Yes, exactly. But like, what I'm seeing is the logo from White Men Can't Jump, and then like sort of you, you know, editing it. Like, I think I was gonna call the film White Man Can Jump. Right. That's what I thought. Question mark. Question mark. Yeah. 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 Or I was like, this white man, and then like, you know, have I I don't know. I like playing with stuff where it has like the edits. So, Mm -hmm. um, 
anyway, but I love the movie White Men Can't Jump, but I, I would also love your movie as I loved your documentary. And um, sure, but also like, I, I think that I don't believe in that kind of like dream it and you can do it and focus on it and you can do it saying just because of the sort of, you know, the secret and like mysticism kind of stuff. I just think that like, I, I don't know that if, if all you're thinking about is the pursuit of this thing, there becomes an inevitability about it's happening just because like, I don't know exactly why. I mean, and, and to me, I always challenge myself because there is so much in my life, like the fortunes, for example, <clears throat> me knowing that there was a gun, countless other examples, but like um, where I believe in a connection to something that's like ethereal and mystical and not explainable. And well, I think because of, yeah. It's funny, in episode two of Quarantine, Zach Mendez told me I was one of the most, um, I'm forgetting the word right now, but it's like a word where you think the world is like, is like designed for you. Sure. People. What's the, what's the term for that? Uh, uh, well, I don't know what the term is, but like, I mean, the idea of like, I, I am made of dust and then the world was made for me. And it's kind of both depending on which dragon. Like that, like that everyone is here to like teach me a lesson. Right. Like to be a symbol for me. And I would say, I would say in a, in a completely positive way, you're maybe the most that of the people I know, but like, like you have a very positive, like Trump probably is that as well, but Trump's not, Trump's not teach me a lesson. Trump's, the world is here for me to teach a lesson. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think I probably have that too. And I think that like Trump presents an interesting case of, you know, pathological narcissism in a way that's really it's unhealthy. Like, it's almost like star Wars. It's almost like you're like a Jedi using it. And Trump's like the mm. dark side. Uh, yeah. He's like, I mean, he's, I like using, he's like using the secret for like super evil. And yeah. uh, <laughs> and you're you're Luke Skywalker. Thank you. That's very nice. Um, but you know, I I don't know. I guess like it's... maybe Obi Wan. <clears throat> Which one? What? That or maybe Obi Wan. Oh, I don't even know Star Wars enough to like laugh. Um, but uh, I believe you that it's funny. Um, but like with with all of that, it's like I don't. I'm always because of my background, like as a lawyer, I guess, but also I think my kind of natural questioning, like not exactly skepticism, but like I have a lot of curiosity and wonder, I think. And I've always had that. And I think that like what it leads to is simultaneously thinking that there's like a lot of cool magic in the universe. And then I also have the desire to document it obsessively. And I think it's kind of both of those things. So it's like, yeah, I'll find 82 fortunes on the ground randomly. Is that where we're at? I think so. Yeah. Right, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you found you found no fortunes, obviously, since the quarantine, or have you? No, I haven't. And, and also, would I pick them up? Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Would you? I wouldn't. I would take a picture, but I would leave it. <laughs> you just in a hazmat suit with like a tweezer. <laughs> yeah. Found fortune number 84. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but like with that, you know, it's kind of like the evidence for me has to be overwhelming in order for me to think that the universe is like magically conspiring for me. But thankfully I've been open to collecting that evidence really obsessively, as I mentioned. So it seems overwhelming because it's kind of like, yeah, I'm naturally questioning enough that if I found only one fortune, I'd be like, huh, weird. That doesn't mean anything. And I think that like where I depart from people who are very into like manifest your dreams and the secret is everything. And if you think it, you can have it and stuff like that. Like I do believe that, but it's also because I don't believe it so much that all of the evidence has been being tracked by my brain. Cause I'm like, well, at this point, you're, you're, you're putting together a case. 
correct. Like at this point, it's like, if I didn't believe it, I would be the silly one because it's such overwhelming evidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I've always said to me, the secret, I've always thought of the secret as just praying for people who don't believe in God. Yeah. Maybe they do believe in God, but it's just like, it's like, but it's like, you know, it's very Hollywood and like Hollywood, I think of as a somewhat atheistic place, but like they still need some sort of faith that they can achieve your dreams. And instead of being like, dear God, can you please give me a movie career? It's just like, can you please give me a movie career? (laughs) What if I, what if I paste a sticker of uh, Tom Cruise to, to a cardboard piece of paper i have one in my room of tom cruise is tom cruise on it (laughs) well my brother gave it to me as a gift because i love tom cruise um who doesn't i don't know probably is like scientology slaves um, <laughs> I mean, I love they him also love him, but they love him in like a Stockholm type way. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know much, you know, about him in certain terms of like gossip other than the stuff that like everybody knows, but I just really appreciate him as an actor. Um, and in terms of like identifying with the roles that he tends to get, I've always wanted those kinds of roles of like being sort of like a hero or an anti-hero that's very mission driven. So I just resonate with that from life. What I was going to say is if I ever made a documentary about Tom Cruise, I would call it the last movie star because I feel okay. like he's uh. I feel like he's the last movie star because, I mean, Tom Hanks, maybe also the two Toms. Mm-hmm. Um, but like but like I, I'm very much into auteur theory. Do you know auteur theory? It's mm-hmm. like the idea that like um, in films, usually there's. I mean, the, the the concept is that, like, directors imprint their style onto things. Oh, uh, okay. But I, and I think there are some people who talk about it being like, you don't have to be the director to be the auteur. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry Bruckheimer, all Jerry Bruckheimer produced movies have a certain feel, whether it's Michael Bay or somebody else directing it. They all okay. have this kind of action-y type thing so i would say like jerry bruckheimer is very much effectively an auteur for the films he produces but i see that tom hanks is one of the few actor auteurs who his being in the movie is the driving creative force and the driving stylistic force like Mm. when you go to see a tom cruise movie you're generally going to see a tom cruise movie not a you know Doug Lyman film. Right, uh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so yeah. I think he's one of the last the last auteurs. Uh, the last movies, the last movie star. Um, right. I also think the movie star is dying. I think like I, I feel very much and especially now, like we're we're hitting like a new unknown of things at this very moment, but I think very much like it doesn't, you know, the things I dreamt about as a kid don't quite exist anymore you know it's like it's like a very different different world like who's the last like who is the last actor to like truly be like a global box office sensation movie star because they star in a movie like like i don't know it's hard it's hard to even say you know there hasn't there hasn't been somebody and it's like attention spans are getting shorter and movie theaters. I mean, I'm very afraid for what the world of movie theaters is going to be like when this is all over. Um, yeah. Cause this is, this is, they've already been getting hit hard. And then now sure. this is going to be crippling. So. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple things. Fantasy, mm-hmm. Right. couple things in response. Number one. Um, when I took ayahuasca, in 2016, the one time I've taken it. Uh, I took it in this Pilates studio in Brooklyn and like, whatever, you know, everybody has their place. That was mine. And uh, it was like led by a shaman and there were rules. And one of them was that you couldn't talk. Um, And so you just like kind of sat there, barfed into your Tupperware, (laughs) like had your experience like on your little sleeping bag pod for you know however many hours it was while the shaman was chanting 
Um, but you could go to the bathroom, obviously, I guess. And, uh, but, but like not talking was like number one rule. And for the most part, I didn't feel the need to like express. I really was having mostly a solitary experience, like sort of, it honestly felt like I was like going through my inbox. But like, were you allowed to like scream and holler and stuff? Like, like to like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, like, I, I feel say... like people were doing that during my ayahuasca experience. Oh, like, they I were like, had one. they were purging. I've never told you my story. No. So, we'll finish yours and then I'll finish and I'll tell you mine and then we can wrap it well, up. Well, no, I kind of want to know. I'll, I'll remember mine. Um, well, mine is mine is like not moving at all. Okay. Mine okay. is like like uh, mine is almost bizarre. I had okay. a bizarre ayahuasca experience. So it's like there just was this moment of time where like all my friends were randomly going out to the desert like one by one to do ayahuasca and mm. coming back and telling me how it changed their life. Yeah. You know, like one of them like gave up the career path they were on and like got married and started a new career path and like like it was just just like person after person. And I, I was just um, about to go to Europe for like uh, this like two plus month Europe expedition I was planning on going on. I like <laughs> left my job. I was getting ready to start a new thing. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to kick it off by doing ayahuasca. This is like. Ah. The next three months are like the focus on Josh three months before yeah. you come back and like refigure out your life. How old were oh, you? 29. Okay. So, um, so I don't tell anyone I'm like going to do ayahuasca. It's like, like, it's just like my own private plan. And mm -hmm. I go, I like find out how to do it. And I like sign up for like, you know, this Indian religion thing. So yeah. you can, legally do ayahuasca yeah i go out to the desert i get there and my three best friends are there to also do ayahuasca independent okay. of me we had just all like ah. decided we were gonna do it from listening to everything and we all like did it at the same time and like so i get there and one of them who's like a good friend of mine i have like a somewhat contentious friendship with and I was like, I made a big deal about not wanting to sit next to him during it. Just because okay. like, I'm like, I need my, I need to be in my, like, my, my zone, my chi. I can't be sitting next to <coughs> this friend of mine during it. Because I don't want him to, like, distract me or get in my head or affect what was supposed to be, like, a very personal thing. Yeah. So, like, when you did Iowa, you know, you have to do, like, the fasting and, like, the yeah. eating the specific diet and, like, and the day of you fast, like, the whole yeah. day. So I've been yeah. fasting the whole day. And normally, apparently, like, at this ayahuasca expedition, it would be, like, 18, 19 people that would show up. But this time it was like 34 people that came oh, to wow. do it. For some reason, I just happened to, of course, pick like the weekend where everyone was going. So we're all in the tent. I'm starving. I'm dying. And we're one by one going around like say everyone's saying like like it's almost like an AA meeting where yeah. everyone's like trying to talk through like why they're doing uh, why they're doing this and it's like and it's like it's like everyone's like trying to get over the problems like yeah I was like a heroin addict and like mm -hmm. I've been in and out of jail and they're really like like it's like an open mic with no light they're really yeah. taking everyone's really like, this is my moment to shine. And like, I got nothing. I'm like, oh, I'm at 29. Like, you know, uh, I guess I'm um, still slightly upset about a girl I broke up with three years ago. Yeah. And just yeah, trying to get my life together. <laughs> Everything's pretty good, honestly. Um, but, but like, so it's just taking forever. <laughs> Finally, they call us up one by <laughs> one to get our dose. And like, I'm also extremely scared. Every yeah. time I do hallucinogenics, like I always act like it's the first time I've ever done them. I'm always like, uh, you know, make sure I'm okay, make sure I don't kill myself. Yeah, I get, yeah. I get, I get very paranoid. Um, I, I often rely on people who have done them less than me to take care of me. 
during mm -hmm. them. But like, you know, I'm very nervous about this because like people are like, oh, it's very scary. It's going to be like a surreal experience. So I go up and like, like they give me my dose and I drink it. And then she goes, oh, oh, I'm like, what? She's like, you're not supposed to drink it yet. It's fine. You'll just enter the realm before everyone else. And I'm like, I don't want to enter the realm before everyone else. But like, as I was walking up, it looked like everyone was sitting there meditating. So it just looked to me like everyone had drank it. Yeah. So I go back to my seat. And my friend who had done it before that was sitting next to me goes, where's your dose? He's like, I drank it. He's like, you're not supposed to drink it. I'm like, I know. He's like, it's, yeah. it's fine. You'll just enter the realm before everyone else. I'm like, I'm aware. <laughs> so finally, everyone gets up. And then they start doing their chance like, to get into it. And I just start my hallucination like immediately. And like, I see this wolf and everything, but I also have a very sensitive stomach. And like, I, and it was the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted in my entire life. Yeah. And, uh, I very quickly start puking. And honestly, I don't even think I was puking to purge. I think I was just, my body was rejecting the ayahuasca. Sure. Right. So I didn't really get that high. And I'm like, ugh. This is like a real big disappointment for me. So like I want to go up. So I go up to get a second dose. And when I come back, my friend who had been sitting next to the person I didn't want to sit next to mm -hmm. had moved to my seat. So the only seat that was available now was the seat next to the person I didn't want to sit to. But at that point, I had like realized that it's very like personal and no one's really in anybody's space or anything. Yeah. So like whatever, I didn't mind. I just I just went there. Meanwhile, I don't think he had done the diet right because he was just like sitting there like meditating the entire time, eyes closed, feeling like the whole thing wasn't working. Mm. Um, and he's like, I wonder if it's working for other people. So he finally, for the first time, opens his eyes to look around and sees me sitting next to him after I'd made such a big deal about not wanting to and thinks that he hallucinated it, ah. and that it and that it was a meaningful thing to him. He's like, oh, shit. And like, goes back to bed. And I go, ah. yeah, Alex took my seat. He's like, oh, I thought I was hallucinating <laughs> that you were sitting next to me. Um, but the other funny thing was, uh, so like, uh, like I constantly puking just throughout. Just like, really, I just spent all this money and fasted for a week to go to the desert and just puke without hallucinating. Uh, and I puked and like I'm lying down and like there's like the different shamans coming that like collect your puke buckets and stuff and I just hear them knock over my bucket and go fuck shit <laughs> like right next to me and that was and at the end of it all you know it's like like ultimately what I walked away thinking was I'm like Josh you've spent 30 years fucking up your life you can't expect to go to the desert one night do drugs and fix all your problems <laughs> That was that was the lesson I ultimately took away from doing ayahuasca. Like it was fun in its own way. I hallucinated a little bit. Interestingly, I did mushrooms like uh like five months later. Mm -hmm. And the mushroom experience I had was more akin to what I expected the ayahuasca experience to be. When I Why? did the mushrooms, I really like transported in. I only ate one mushroom too. And I went to like another universe and like like I was like in like a jungle like disco rave thing. And like I just had all these incredibly deep thoughts and like like was crying profusely and like thinking mm. about all these people. But like very in all a very positive way. Right. Um, so I, I almost felt like also the ayahuasca experience helped me guide myself through that yeah. mushroom experience because oh, uh, like I very much like saw the woods in front of me and decided mm -hmm. to go into them even though they were scary mm -hmm. um, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say guys is do drugs do drugs, be responsible. <laughs> Just make sure there's someone who's done less <coughs> drugs than you're around to take care of you well right um, I really appreciate that story um and it sounds like a very fun sort of road trip-esque movie um, that when you do make it, I would love to be in it. And here's what I would do for my part. 
because this was my ayahuasca experience, which was what I was going to say when we were talking about being movie stars. So during mine, which it sounds like there may be some, you know, ways that they were different, particularly because it sounds like you were able to talk during yours because there was we some interaction. Uh, I think like if like we were like having conversations and stuff, they would have stopped us. Okay. Like when I went to the bathroom, he followed me up. But people were like just there was a lot of like chanting and like right. and like making sounds and purging in any various mm-hmm. number of ways. Well, yeah, no, the purging for sure was a sound. But like Mine crying was- and like and like and like like almost like making loud noises. I feel like they would have stopped people if they were being like incredibly distracting, but like there were definitely like, like someone going like, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if that was a thing. I don't think so. I mean, certainly you could have puked. There was a woman next to me who was having what sounded like an anxiety attack. So like she had somebody like go over to her and help her and like, she was talking to that person. So like in an emergent situation, you, you know, I guess all bets are off in that setting. But um, the shaman, because we had one shaman was doing chants and that was sort of the prevailing sound during mine. But um, anyway, what, what I had in, in my experience, because I wasn't able to talk, in the middle of it, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom because I have to say something. And what I said was I looked at myself in the mirror of this bathroom in the Pilates studio where I was doing ayahuasca. <laughs> and I kept repeating to myself, you're a movie star. You're a movie <laughs> star. And it's interesting to me that you're saying this thing about movie stars because I mean, I was in acting class before then, and I have the kind of narcissism that we've been sort of talking about this, you know, which maybe we don't want to call it narcissism because of, at the very least, the derogatory implications that are associated with Trump. And, you know, I don't I don't think I mean, once my therapist told me that you're not pathologically narcissist. So I was like, great, I will take that and run with that not diagnosis because, you know, I get that I have like this sense that the world was created for me in some way. But I think I, at least in in my evolution as a person, I've tried to make sure that if I'm going to be that self-involved, that I've got to combat it with a lot of altruism and thinking of others. And even if it's not something that comes 100% naturally to me in the same way that the self-absorption does, that I've got to make sure to like really lean into that because it makes the other part of my personality like, okay, you know? Um, So anyway, all of that to say that I wonder if that's meaningful. I wonder about it a lot, like if, if I'm a movie star, but if you do make this movie, what I'm saying is I'd like to star in it. (laughs) I, uh, Um, I know you got to go to your zoom meeting. It's okay. It's okay. I've actually canceled it. Oh, you canceled the Zoom meeting. Well, oh, it's no, happening, not... but I already did the equivalent of it before, so I don't need to go. Oh, okay. So we could have started Thank this you. later. I could have I could have oh. slept in. You, ah. you... <laughs> um, <coughs> normally normally part of my process for this podcast is that I uh like you're you're a break from my normal process for it. Because normally what I do is I wake up when I wake up, I make my breakfast, and then I just hit people up until somebody wants to do it. I oh, like okay. I like the sort of randomness of catching people just oh. amid their quarantine, like unexpected of doing this podcast. <laughs> Not that this hasn't been one of the best ones. Um, uh, so, so, I mean, it's definitely top five. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but Al, so so I, I really want to do one with Al. Al, for those of you listening that aren't aware that I made a documentary, which, you know, A, none of you are listening. No one's ah. listening. And B, if you are listening, you're probably well aware of everything I've done. But, uh, <laughs> but mom. Al, mom, uh, Al, 
has said to me that he believes he has narcissistic personality disorder like mm-hmm. Trump. And I'm like, no, you're, you're such the, but Al's such a compassionate guy. Like, like he really yeah. does worry about how people feel. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he is also extremely narcissistic and I've right. told him, I don't think you have narcissistic personality disorder, Al. I think you have wants to have narcissistic personality disorder mm-hmm. disorder. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's very and I would good. say you yeah. are sort of similar. I don't think you have narcissistic personality disorder. I think you have, like, wants to have narcissistic, but I don't even think you want to have it. Al, like, yeah. Al, Al, I feel like almost wants to have it. I, I mean, it's more like I don't really care one way or the other as much. The reason that I think of it at all is that I I was engaged to a therapist in 2012. And when we broke up, she sent me this extensive email about why I had it. And it was like very jarring for me. She had it. She had it. It was really about her. Well, on the theory that one projects only what one can from having it, then sure. But I mean, she basically did like. Would you say that though? Would you say maybe that they had it? I mean, I don't really like. It's so far removed at this point from my experience. Like, I feel like at some point, sometimes people in stories just become the characters in the story as opposed to, like, the people who they were at that time in my life. It was so long ago that, like, I have no idea. And moreover, she's the therapist, not me. And so, like, the fact that she diagnosed me arguably has more consequence in two ways. One, that her diagnosis could be accurate. And two, that she should stop practicing altogether for diagnosing somebody that she was in a relationship. But whatever. (laughs) Um, But uh, wait, but I feel like there was a thread that I wanted to just pick up from before, which was about movie stardom and entertainment and sort of all of that stuff, coupled with magical thinking and the secret and stuff like that but i think it's you know it's maybe not a coincidence that those two worlds collide to the extent that they do because so much of entertainment is creating dreams like basically you're i mean not just like oh you're living your dream or whatever but like a movie is essentially a dream sequence that you've just made into reality And so, so too is like any sort of stage, like all of it is like, we're creating the thing that's in our brain in real life. And so I don't think it's like a coincidence that particularly in Hollywood, you know, like, I think there's, there's definitely truth to what you're saying of like, okay, we need some sort of, or they, we, whoever needs some sort of religious, um, thing to believe in, but particularly that it's that thing that prevails over, you know, some kind of ordinary organized religion makes sense to me because of the nature of what happens here is just what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. So all of that means that I'll have a six pack, I think. (laughs) And I'll slam dunk a basketball. Exactly. (laughs) And then we'll high five on the court. Yeah. 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 With a shot to my torso. If you think people are going to be confused as to thinking you're good at sports now, wait Uh, till you have that six pack, Liz. I know. You're going to get picked for every team. Yeah. That's that's very true. All right, guys. I think this was I think this was, you know, one of one of the like I said already, one of the one of the top five episodes so far Uh, of quarantine. Uh, Liz, it's always a joy to talk to you. Same, Josh. Uh, to see your face is nice. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad you're doing well. If I, I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. but my dad is, so yeah. I think I'm qualified to say that I don't think you have coronavirus. Uh, he's Thank also you. an eye doctor. Um, oh, right. uh, just just to <laughs> clarify, is there yeah. anything you'd like to promote uh, oh. before? Um. Well, don't worry, I'm nobody's made don't nobody's made it this far into the episode, but just in oh, case. Oh, sure. But but it's good practice, I think. Yeah. But um I happen to have shot a bunch of videos before all of this that I'm going to release during it because people are a captive audience literally. Um so it's a series called Minute Memoirs or Minute Memoirs. Uh and 
Um, I've got, I think 12 of them that I can, that I have ready to go. So uh, you can look out for those with the hashtag minute memoir or minute memoir. Awesome. They're the same. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Liz. I miss you. I look forward to a day when we can hug again and uh, get back on stage, not just do these Skype shows. Yeah. But uh, for now, thanks for listening to Quarantime. If you have any questions, email me at quarantimepodcast at gmail.com. Eventually, I'll check to see if anyone actually did. Uh, And uh, stay tuned uh, tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll have another episode. All right. Thanks, Josh. Bye. Bye.